Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and then we'll be turning to Acts chapter 13. If you do not uh, have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in front of you in the, in the pew, or directly in front. So please turn there if you would and follow along to see that these things truly are the Word of God. First, from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, men, behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then from Acts chapter 13 and verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to this people. And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. It's for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way. I'll give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not seek corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Thus far the reading of God's Holy word, you may be seated. Recently received a text from a concerned mother who was talking with her eight-year-old son who asked, how can we believe in God if we've never seen him? Perhaps you've had similar questions posed to you by your children or grandchildren, and they're hard questions. When those things typically happen in my home, I usually say to my children, great question. Why don't you go ask your mother? <laughs> and if they happen at church, I say, why don't you go ask Pastor Myers? <laughs> they are the resident theologians. 
But it is a good question, isn't it? How can we believe in a God if we have never seen him? How do you answer a question like that? Well, one response is that there are many things that exist even though we cannot see them. Gravity, for example. None of us can see it, but we know that it is in full effect this morning, keeping our feet on the ground and your backside in that pew. And Jesus, in John chapter 3, points to the wind and says, where does it come from and where does it go? Nobody knows because we cannot see it, can we? Likewise, I've never been to Russia or to China, perhaps you have, but I have not, and therefore I have not seen it. Does that mean that it does not exist? Of course not. So we cannot say that our eyes are the standard of what is real and what is not. And so a very similar question could be asked, how can I believe in the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate this day if I have not seen it, if I was not there? You remember that was what Thomas also thought. That was the doubts that he had. Not being there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, even though he was told about it, he said to them, unless I see his, the marks in his hand and place my fingers into the mark of the nail, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Do you hear what he's saying? Unless it is physical, unless it's tangible, unless it's right in front of me, I will never believe. He's emphatic about it. No doubt there are many Thomases still this day. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe it's not just outright rejection, but perhaps healthy skepticism, you would say, of the resurrection. Not sure if this whole Easter thing is true or even believable. And perhaps you're even wondering, does it really matter? Can we do without it? Can we omit it? Can we skip it? Can we just kind of moralize it? Well, I want to show you this morning, Lord willing, that the resurrection is not just a part of the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. Without it, there is no faith. Without it, there is no Christianity because there is no Christ. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then as the Apostle Paul says, we of all people are to be most pitied. But if Jesus indeed has risen from the dead, well then that, that my friends, changes everything. Literally everything. And this morning I want to show you not only from the familiar Easter text that we just read, but from the book of Acts. As many of you know, we've been preaching through the book of Acts on Sunday morning, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And that practice doesn't always lend itself to an Easter-themed message. But this Easter Sunday, we can return to the book of Acts because it is filled with the resurrection Last week, we looked at Paul's sermon in Acts 13, which we read in part again this morning. It's his first recorded sermon in the book of Acts, and he preaches on salvation and the forgiveness of sins that is in Christ, and all of it, he says, is made possible 
because of the resurrection. And I hope by staying right here, right where we happen to be in the book of Acts, that you would see, all of you would see how central this teaching truly is to the entire message of the scriptures. And second, that if you are a guest, we are glad that you are here, I really sincerely mean that, that you would say, after hearing this, you would say, you know what, that book of Acts, there's something very interesting about that. I would like to hear a a bit more of it than we invite you back next week, because Lord willing, we will be right here in the book of Acts. Well, I have five points this morning. The wonder, the witness, the word, the worth, and the welcome of the resurrection. It's the five W's of the resurrection. Wonder, witness, word, worth, and welcome, which we will go through quickly, I promise you. So don't text mom or grandma that you will be late for Easter lunch. Not yet, at least, okay? First, the wonder of the resurrection. As we dive into Paul's sermon here, which really begins earlier in verse 16, as I mentioned, we looked at last week. Paul does several things in this sermon. He recounts the the history of Israel. He gives forth the, the word of God and the scriptures, and then he applies it. And so therefore you see exposition and application, that he stays focused on the revelation of God, specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say that this is the apostolic style of preaching. Peter does the exact same thing in Acts chapter 2 that we looked at several weeks ago. And you might say, well, that was a a different time. That was a different place. That surely wouldn't work today. No, it does work today because people are people. And the need then is the need still present today. And what people need now, just like they did then, is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need it more than what is going on in the world. They need it more than stories of me or my family. Because all of it, myself included, pales in comparison. The reality is my life is really not that interesting, okay? You don't need to know much of me, but you do need to know much of Christ, He indeed is the most interesting man ever and will be for all eternity. And so Paul wants people to know not about him, but about Christ and the gospel. And he gives a synopsis of the gospel in verses 26 through 33 that we read earlier. In fact, he says that. He says that we come to you. We've been sent with the message of this salvation And this is the message of salvation. Verse 27, that even though Jesus was prophesied long ago, they fulfilled the prophecies. Not by exalting him, but by condemning him. And even though he was not worthy of death, they found him death worthy. And they asked Pilate to do exactly that, to to execute him, which he did And he was crucified, which is the most horrific and humiliating way to die. 
Verse 29, it says that they had to take his lifeless body down from the tree and lay him in a tomb. But notice verse 30. This is why we are here this day. It says, but God. Whenever you see those words in Scripture, you might as well just underline what comes after it. Because you know something significant is going to take place. There's something significant that is going to be said, and so to hear. That just when it seemed like it was over, that it was hopeless, that darkness had won, evil had overcome that which was good, it says, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. That is the significant of this day. It's the, the wonder that we enter into on a day like this. That we understand that this is the turning point of, of human history. That this is the message that we read earlier of the angels to the woman. When he said he is not here, he has risen. He has been raised. God raised him from the dead. And it says that they went from sadness and mourning to fear and wonder and excitement and, yes, even joy. I love how Matthew puts it as we read it earlier. It says, now after the Sabbath day, at the dawn of the first day of the week. That's more than just a time reference, isn't it? We know that something significant was taking place, that with the death of Christ, There was darkness. Darkness covered the earth, even though it was high noon. But when we read about the resurrection, it says that the dawn broke forth. The light began to shine out of the darkness. That it was the dawn of a a new day. It was the dawn of a, a new light. That darkness truly had not won. Evil had not overcome. Because Christ risen from the dead. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, S-U-N, has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Indeed, in the light of the resurrection of Christ, we see everything else now differently. And that's exactly what Paul says to them that day and says through the Holy Spirit to us this day that it's a new day. It's the dawn of a a new light, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. I know we have heard it so often, but Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Have you let that reality set in? Have you let it sink in that Jesus indeed is not dead, but he is risen, he is alive? The reality is that is a earth-shaking, world-revolutionizing, life-changing news. And how can we know? How can we know that it is true? Well, we know it is because, second, we have the witness, the witnesses of the resurrection. You see, that is what Paul says. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to this people. The disciples, now the apostles, are the witnesses of the 
resurrection. Those that followed him for years now testify of this resurrection. That they saw him be crucified, they saw the place that he was buried, and then they saw the empty tomb. And finally, his appearing to them. You have the women that we read of earlier. The two women that were first to meet the resurrected Lord. And they bore witness. They were the first to tell the disciples of the Lord's resurrection from the dead. Beyond that, we know that there was a a multitude of other people that saw Christ post-resurrection. Notice it says that he was with them for, for many days. He was not hidden. He was not stored away somewhere. No, in fact, in those 50 days before he ascended into heaven, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people saw him in one day. Furthermore, we have the Apostle Paul, the very person that gave this sermon, had a personal encounter with the risen and ascended Lord on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to persecute those and put them in prison, those that believed and preached the resurrection. You see, he had no desire to, to believe. In fact, he was quite the opposite. But he could not unsee what he saw, the risen and ascended Lord of lords. And none of these witnesses had anything to gain by speaking of the resurrection. In fact, we could say it was quite the opposite, wasn't it? It's ultimately cost them everything, including their very life. Who is going to give their life for a lie? But each and every one was willing to. Unto death, they were committed. They committed their existence unto this truth, to preach and proclaim the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chuck Colson, who was part of the Nixon administration and also part of the the Watergate scandal, who ultimately went to to prison as a result of it. If you are not familiar with Watergate, ask your parents or ask your grandparents and they'll tell you. But he ultimately, in prison, came to know the Lord. And he says this, I know the resurrection is a fact, And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Goes on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible, he says. That's true, isn't it? And it's through these witnesses, the scripture says, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established. And so the resurrection is established by these witnesses. But we have something even greater than witnesses. Because third, we have the word of the resurrection. Some might say, well, those witnesses aren't around anymore, so they cannot testify, and that is true. But God's witness still remains. And it's the witness of his holy word. 
Notice Paul does not say to the hearers those days, believe this because I said so, or believe it because I saw it, or this host of witnesses tells you to believe it. No, he ultimately says, believe it because the word of God tells it to you. And he uses the words of scripture. In fact, he says, this has been fulfilled as it has been written, because it has been promised to the fathers. He even says earlier that all of this was, even the condemnation was to fulfill that which was fulfilled by prophecy and by Scripture. And they carried out all that was written of him. And then he goes on to say that there are these three verses, two from the Psalms, one from Isaiah, that point towards the resurrection. Again, by the voice and the witness of two or three, every matter shall be established. So what is Paul doing? He's saying all of those scriptures were pointing to Christ. That they were not speaking of David, but they were speaking of David's greater son. He goes on to say in verse 36, as great as David was, he is dead and buried. But David and all the Old Testament saints, even though they did not know his name, were looking to Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is indeed the fulfillment of all the scriptures. The Old Testament is full of Christ, even of his resurrection from the dead. And if you don't believe that, then you will simply not believe. Even if your eyes saw the resurrected Lord this very day, isn't that not what Jesus said? When he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so even though we have all of these eyewitnesses, they are not sufficient in themselves. Even if you were there and saw the risen Christ, that testimony would not be sufficient in itself. Human witnesses pale in comparison to the greatest witness, which is God himself, who cannot lie. He testifies of the resurrection of his son because he has fulfilled all of these promises made from the beginning of time. But Paul's not done. There's even more. The wonder, the witness, the word leads to this, the worth of the resurrection. And you have the application Paul wants to to give the people that which he is speaking of, why this is all necessary, why Christ had to rise from the dead. If you were here last week, then you know full well. But for those of you that weren't or those of you that may need a few reminders, look at what he says, verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, brothers, through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed there it is, isn't it? That through this man, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins is given. That is the difference maker. That is the, the money maker or the, the haymaker, however you want to put it. Here is the rub. This is where the rubber meets the road. The absolutely reality of the resurrection. That if you think that you do not need the forgiveness of sins, then you do not really care about the wonder of the resurrection, 
you really don't care about the witnesses or how many there were, nor do you care what the word of God ultimately says. None of that really matters. If you think that you are all right, if you just have a, a few blunders here and there, some blemishes, but other than that, you are okay, then it does not really matter what I say or anybody else says. We can say it until we're blue in the face. By your own admission, you're saying, I don't need saving. I do not need a savior. If that is true of you, then Easter is nothing more and will be nothing more than a sentimental holiday filled with Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. But if you recognize that before God, not before men, but before a holy God, that you are not right, that you are in fact at enmity with him, he with you and you with him, and that his condemnation is just, and his justice rightly deserves my death and my everlasting punishment. The wrath of God is upon you. Why? Because all have sinned, including you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and that death means eternal separation from God for all of eternity. You see, if that is your outlook, then the resurrection is a reality, more real of a reality than gravity itself or the air that we breathe at this very moment. Because when you hear the wonder of the gospel, of the resurrection story, you can't help but say amen. When you hear Jesus Christ appear to Peter and then to 12 and then to Paul and more than that, to over 500 brothers at one time, you say, amen. When you understand that God has fulfilled the promise to his fathers and to the children, verse by verse, promise after promise, throughout the whole of scripture, you say, amen. And then when you hear that through this man is now offered the forgiveness of sins, not just the forgiveness of sins in general, but the forgiveness of my sins, that he has released the record of my wrong, he has cleaned my debt, then you say amen and amen and amen. amen. And so I appeal to you, each and every one of you on this Resurrection Sunday, yes, we can be amazed and we ought to be. Yes, we should enjoy this wonderful day. Yes, we should listen to the witnesses and to the word of God, and we ought. But do we need any more reason? Do we need any more proof than this? That I'm in need of a Savior. And Christ Jesus, it is he. That he is risen indeed. That is all the reason we need. All the proof that is necessary if that is true of you, then my friends, this is a glorious day indeed. It's why you come every Sunday, because you don't need it just once a year. You need it every day, and in fact, twice on Sunday. And through it, we not only have the forgiveness of sins, but notice what it says. Verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is freed. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in bondage. As Americans, we love freedom, don't we? Well, let me tell you, you're not truly free unless you're in Christ this morning. 
And through that freedom, we are given a, a new purpose. I love what Paul says about David in verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. You see what he's saying, that we are given a, a freedom from the sin and death, not to live for self, but to live for God, to serve the purpose of God in our generation, just like David served God and the purpose of God in his own generation. It's not because we have to, it's that we get to, isn't it? This is where we find true fulfillment. Doing that which God created us to do. That's the place of contentment and, and joy. And that's what the world seeks for, don't they? they? They would pay anything for it. They continually seek. They continually buy. They try to achieve. And yet they are never satisfied. They retire and then they unretire because they haven't achieved enough. It's a ruthless cycle, isn't it? It's a ruthless cycle because it is bondage. They're not serving the purpose of God in Christ. Free men, free women are in Christ. Freedom is in Christ. And how sweet is that true freedom? We need no greater reason than this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He's given us the forgiveness of sins. And that is true today, and that will be true tomorrow, and that will be true for all of eternity. There is no greater gift. There is no greater joy. Fifth and finally, we have the welcome of the resurrection. Maybe you are one of those that have doubted or disbelieved or thought that this resurrection stuff is a, a bit blown out of proportion. Maybe you come this morning as a disbeliever or perhaps a doubter or a cynic or a skeptic. And you may be wondering, well, is it too late? Is there still room for me? Have I missed my opportunity? Have I lost my chance? Well, I can tell you on the authority and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're never too far gone. We can say to you that you're not alone. In fact, all of us have been there in our own foolishness, in our own arrogance, in our own pompous attitudes. We too have acted that we knew better than God himself. But if God has received us in our own foolishness, then he will surely receive you as well when you come by faith and repentance. And that is what is truly amazing about our Lord. That rejection after rejection, his grace is more. His grace abounds to the chief of sinners. And he welcomes the, the doubter and the skeptic in. How do I know? Because we need not look any further than doubting Thomas. What did he say to Thomas when he finally appeared to him? Did he say, you knucklehead? How could you not believe? No, he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hands on my side. Place them on my side. He, he gives them the proof that he was looking for, that he was wanting, that he was needing. But then he goes on to say this. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The same is true for you and me. Do not disbelieve, but 
believe. Look outward at the witnesses and the word. Look inward at your own need for the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore have it all turn you to look upward and say with Thomas, my Lord and my God, thank you. And God welcomes you in this day and we do the same to all. Today indeed is a a special day. But I tell you, it's no more special than any other Sunday. We celebrate this reality every week. That's why we we did not have an Easter egg hunt or or pictures with the Easter bunny or, you know, a whole symphony orchestra here today. Sorry if you were looking for that. Uh, we, we, We had a wonderful brunch and we put a little purple on the bulletin today, but that's about it, right? Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. We're a pretty simple church. We're not going to wow you. If anything, we're going to underwhelm you in our production value. But we will attempt by God's grace in everything we do to put before you a God that is incredible, a Christ that is marvelous, and a gospel that is amazing. Because through it, we go from death unto life. We're less concerned about what goes on out here and much more concerned about what goes on in here, in your heart and in your mind, that you would know the resurrection power and life this day. Well, let me conclude with this. One of my favorite theologians gives some practical applications of the resurrection. Perhaps you want to write these down as you leave today and meditate upon them this day and this week, there's four applications that he gives, and he says this, dear believer, if the resurrection be true of you, and you would be like the apostle Paul to desire to know him and the power of the resurrection, then know first the peace that you have with God, that there is not one sin, not even the least part thereof, for which satisfaction has not been made, and therefore you are free from all guilt and all punishment. Second, he says, just as Christ arose in the morning for you, rise every morning in Christ. Meditate and think upon him and his resurrection as you awake. And since he arose on the first day of the week, commemorate and celebrate his resurrection every Sabbath as a renewed revival of your spiritual life. Third, as Christ departed from the grave, and left his burial garments behind, so too leave behind the sinful garments of the flesh. For the old man has been buried with Christ. Fourth and finally, since Christ was made alive, know every day the newness of life that you have in Christ to live for him until one day you would be resurrected with him in the full newness of that life. Indeed, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace this day. Thank you for the blessing and wonder and awe of this day. Thank you for the witnesses and for the word. Lord, thank you for the way that you demonstrate to us how precious and valuable this gospel is to sinners like us. 
that need not only the forgiveness of sins, not only the freedom from our sins and from this body of death, but also what it means to rise in newness of life and the resurrection of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are so grateful that you welcome us in as those that deserve the least of your kindness but have received the greatest, your Son, our Savior, for sinners like us. Lord, it is our joy this day to be welcomed into your presence and all those that would turn to you in faith and repentance. Lord, would that take place this day for the first time or perhaps for the thousandth time? Would you welcome us in because of Christ? Say to us this day, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into your master's joy. Indeed, may we be joyous this day because of the risen Christ. In his name we pray, amen.